Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams finishes the series in rhythm. God doesn't want to be confusing, and Jesus' purpose was to make the gospel plain and easy to understand. All too often, we make it too difficult. Listen as Brandon explains some of the ways we can bring clarity to our relationship with Christ. All right. Hey, today we are going to uh, continue in our in rhythm series. Unfortunately, today we have to say goodbye to the rhythm sticks um, that we've been using. But here's the cool thing. If you want to take some home with you to beat on people with, take them with you. Um, they, they'll last a little while. They start deflating after a while. But you can take them home if you need to, you know, you and your husband, you need to kind of du- duke it out a little bit. Um, but nobody gets hurt kind of thing. Take those with you, you and your boyfriend, girlfriend. You can beat on each other those things with minimal damage. So um, go ahead and take some with you. We're going to continue that. Before we do, real quick, um, you should have or maybe you should have received a connection card um, as you came in the door, hopefully. Um, If not, you can get one on the way out. What we want to ask you to do, if you're new here, we just want to get a little information from you. If you're you're ready to do that, if you're not, that's cool too. We're not going to bombard you with information. What we are going to do is just send you an email to tell you a little bit more about who we are and what we do here. So if you have one of those cards, we'd love to be able to tell you more about um, what we do at Connection Church and where we are heading. Um, Also, we've got some cards in the back, little business size cards that are, um, they're, they're, so, so you can pass out to give to people to highlight this marriage series that's coming up. Um, if you are in a relationship, are married, or are thinking about one day being in a relationship, I would highly encourage this series. Um, we're going to do four weeks on this. It's going to be incredible. Um, you don't want to miss this. But also, we want you to in, try to invite some unchurched people. Listen, you got to be careful how you invite people to a marriage series because you don't want them to think you're just telling them they have a horrible marriage. But the truth of the matter is we all have things that we need to work on, right? In any relationship, in any marriage, there are things that, that we need to work on. And so this is an opportunity for all of us to get a tune-up, okay? And so if you want to come and, and uh, get some of those cards as you leave today, we'd love for you to pass those out and um, invite some people who aren't in a church to church. We'd love to see that happen. Last thing. I want to say, and then we're jumping into the word, is thank you. Um, it is such an honor and it's a privilege for me to be able to pastor um, Connection Church. Susan and I are blown away by what God's done in the last two years. But today I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you've done for us, especially the last couple of weeks, man. We have seen you guys pour out so much love for us. Um, Susan had a baby shower um, last Sunday, and we have a closet that is slammed full of like diapers and wipes. If we use all of these diapers, we're just gonna have to go see the baby. Something's not working right. You know, I mean, we got more diapers than I think we could ever use. Um, but it is it's so incredible. Thank you for that. Um, there were some guys and maybe some girls. I don't even know who did it, but they came out to our house yesterday and spread pine straw. So now our weed beds look like flower beds again. Thank you very much for that, man. It, it's just awesome. And thank you for doing all that you do for us um, and loving us. And so I just wanted to say a big thank you to you today. Um, we are going to jump back into this rhythm series. So far, this, this um, series has been based on the three things that we felt like if we were to listen to the heart of God, the three things that God's heart would be saying to us. Remember, it was out of the Gospel of John when it says that Jesus reclined at the, or John reclined at the table, put his head to the chest of Christ. And, and we thought about how cool would it be to be able to listen to the heartbeat of Jesus. And I believe we can do that. I believe we can hear the heart of God. And so we wanted to start thinking about what would be the three things that Jesus' heart would beat for if we were to listen to it. The first one, as Pastor John preached, um, OPJ, he preached about um, the church. And he talked about how the church should be passionate about Christ. He talked about that Jesus' heart beat for the church. Um, the thing that we talked about last week was reconciliation and how Christ has invited us to the table, how he has made a way for us when we didn't deserve a seat at his table. He made a way for us to come and to be able to sit down at this feast that he's prepared for us, this spiritual banquet, so that we can be fed and be nourished. And today we're going to be looking at clarity. We believe that Jesus came and he wanted us to um, have clarity about who God is. He, he came to, to clear up some misunderstandings about God and, and to point the way to the Father and to be the way to the Father. And so we're going to talk about that today. First, I want to read to you out of Ephesians chapter 3. I want to read 8 through 12. Now listen, these are just kind of the verses, the theme verses. Somebody told me last week, you read 3, 8 through 12 in Ephesians, but you never preached on it. These are just the verses that we took this from. And I want to point some things out to you. Listen, 
chapter 3, verse 8. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this is Paul talking to the Ephesians, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Listen to this. This is the church. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then here's the reconciliation in him and through faith in him. We, we may f- approach God with freedom and confidence. The part we're talking about today is where Paul says that he's been charged to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. He, he knew that his call was to bring clarity to who Jesus is. And so we want to talk about this today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And this is where we're actually going to jump into the message. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you would speak to us through your word. I pray today that it would be um, just a good seed that's sown into good soil in our hearts and that it would produce in us an incredible fruit, God, fruit for the kingdom um, of God that you uh, so desperately want to bring here. God, I pray that you would use us mightily as we allow your word to take root and it begins to produce fruit in our lives. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever seen something, been somewhere, done something, where it was really unusual, maybe you saw something, it was just really unusual, but you just couldn't take your eyes off of it, right? It was just strange and kind of weird, but you were kind of like, oh, I don't even know, whoa. You, you kind of can't quit looking. Or maybe you were at a party. Um, or, or a gathering, right? And, and somebody had made some different dips and things. And so you go and you try one. You're like, mm, that looks interesting. And you try it and you're like, mm, what is that? I might taste that again. And, and, and before you know it, you've eaten like a whole bag of Fritos, right? And, and you just eat and cleaned out the dip. But there's something so unusual about it. And yet there was something that just kept drawing you back to it. Or maybe this. How many of you um, have ever been to the Ripley's, believe it or not, museum in St. Augustine? Hold your hands up. There's so many people that go to see this thing. How many of you, when you left, felt like you needed a refund? <laughs> you felt like you should call 911 because you just got robbed, right? We went, and I'm thinking, maybe it'd be $10 a pop, man. Be good. The kids will like it, you know? And, and so we go. It was like 20, 25 bucks a piece. $100 later, I'm like, man, where is my change? Because you walk in, and, and it's just like some guy with a big, like, this long nose. And, and it's just weird stuff. People with stuff going out of their head. People with stuff stuck in their head. I mean, it was just, just weird and unusual stuff. And yet people paid like 20, 25 bucks a piece to get into this place. Now, I was thinking about it. I was like, how unusual is that that we would be willing to spend money to to go see something and, and to walk out and go, I don't know why I did that. But something draws us to that. I believe John the Baptist was the same way. This guy was weird. Even in that day, this guy was really, really different. And the cool thing about it, though, is people were so drawn to him. His message had incredible power. His message, it, it was effective. And he was so different. And yet there was something about his message. There was something that struck a chord with people, even though he was so different, that that people would continually come back to him. They were coming to him, it says, from all over to hear this message and to be baptized. And see, his message was so effective and so powerful. I was thinking about that, you know, that is how the message of the church should be. 
It should be really powerful. It should be really effective. We should really see God doing stuff. And I want to tell you three ways that we know that John the Baptist's message was powerful. And I believe that if we look at this in the church, these are going to be pretty brief and pretty quick. But if we look at this as the church, it shows us also what we should be. As we think about two years of existence, this shows us what should be happening in the church. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. First of all, I want to read to you out of Acts chapter 19. If you want to stay where you're at, that's cool. I just want to read this to you. This is, this is the Apostle Paul we're about to read about. And this is, um, this is a really cool section of scripture. Listen to this. It says in Acts 19, one through five, it says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? He says, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, here's the cool thing about this. This is Paul going into Ephesus. After Paul has met Christ, decided to follow Christ, his life has been revolutionized by Jesus. He's going into Ephesus. And listen to this. But the cool thing about it is this is almost three decades later. All right? He's walking into Ephesus, and he bumps into some men who were disciples of John. Now, the reason this is awesome is, one, because it was almost 30 years later that these men were still talking about John and this baptism and this repentance message. The second thing is, if you were to walk from where John was baptizing all the way to Ephesus, you would have to walk almost a thousand miles. Listen, they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and emails and all of these things. They didn't have iTunes so you could go and click and hear John's message, right? They didn't have all that stuff. And yet John's message had traveled all this distance. And 30 years later, they were still talking about this. How many of you know that's not happening with you and this message today, right? That would be like 30 years from now, somebody bumping into you in Boston, Massachusetts. There was no internet, no Facebook, nothing. And them going, hey, how, how you doing? And you going, oh man, I heard this message Brandon Williams preached 30 years ago on clarity. And it was absolutely amazing. And you would still be talking about this message. How many of you think that's gonna happen? When you really look at it, and most of you couldn't tell, tell anybody what I said at lunchtime tomorrow, Right? Because you, you ask somebody, you're like, man, church was good today. And you're like, well, what did the preacher preach on? <laughs> Wait a minute. It's coming to me. Wait a minute. You know what I'm saying? And, and yet 30 years later, people are still talking about this message. The second thing that we see, it comes out of John chapter 3. Listen to this. In verse 22. I've got to get to John 3, not Luke 3. John 3, verse 22 says this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. There, there was before John, this was before John was put into prison. Now, listen to this. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. One of the ways we know that this message was incredibly powerful is that Jewish people were coming to be baptized by John. Jews were so set on, we're going to do what, what God told Moses. We're going to do this legalistic thing. We're going to do this law. They didn't do anything else. And Jews had these ceremonial washing things. That's what you read about when you read in John chapter 2 about Jesus turning water into wine. He used a ceremonial washing um, jar to do that. That's where they would wash their hands in certain ways to purify themselves. In fact, what John was calling these Jewish people to do was something that typically only Gentiles did. A Gentile was a non-Jew, right? That was you and I, unless you are of, of um, you know, Jewish heritage, you're a Gentile. And so Gentiles, when they were baptized, typically had to do three things. One, they had to offer a sacrifice for atonement of their sin. They had to offer a sacrifice to be forgiven. Two, they had to um, be circumcised. Okay, men had to be circumcised. And three, they had to be baptized. Now, Jewish people were not baptized. Why weren't they baptized? Because they felt like we've got the law. We're not as dirty as them, Right? 
And so they said, because the Gentile people had never had the law, they need to go all the way under the water. They need to come all the way back up. And so John is preaching this message that is so powerful that Jewish people were coming to be baptized. And in John 3, 25, that's what he says. There was a dispute that arose. It was a dispute over these ways of purification. And so we see that the message was powerful to get these people to come and not just do some outward religious activity, but to come and actually recognize that my life needs to change. Listen to this. This is in uh, Luke 3, 7 through 14. This is the third thing that we know. Luke 3, 7 through 14. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This was not a warm and fuzzy message that John was preaching, right? This was not something you walked out and you were like, man, that just made me feel so good inside. He's taught, this is like the first turn or burn kind of thing in the New Testament. This is where John said, either you get right or there's a fire coming and you don't want to be in that, right? And so it says, these people were coming and they were saying, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? He says, don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him what they should do. He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The third way we know this message was absolutely incredibly powerful is that people's lives were really being changed. People's lives were, I mean, they're going, listen, we need to do something different. We realize that we need to repent. We don't need to just go through these different motions, but we really need to repent. We don't need to just play some religious game that can't do anything for you, that is is void of power. We need a relationship with God. And I want to know, what do I need to do? How, How do I need to live my life? And there were lives that were being changed. How many of you know today that that should be the same thing that's happening in our church? That should be the same thing that's happening in the body of Christ. That the message is effective, that it's having far-reaching effects. That people are coming and they're stepping out of their religious box. I mean, come on. Some of us have been living in a religious box for so long and it can't fulfill anything that you need. It it is such a lie that we can go through some motions in church on Sunday and actually live the life that God's called us to live. It is such a lie that we can go through some motions and do the right religious things and expect that we would actually um, be able to be fulfilled in our daily lives. Am I talking to anybody this morning? My goodness. Everybody stay up late. Here's the deal. We can't find what we're looking for just through this playing this religious game that we love to play. We can't do it. And here's the deal. Um, we should be seeing people stepping out of that religion. We should be seeing people step into a relationship. And when they step into a relationship with God, man, their lives begin to be different. And, and that's one of the things that I love about this church and I've loved about the last two years is we have gotten to see people's lives change. I'm in a small group, a connect group myself, which I don't have to lead, so I love it. I just go in and I just sit there and I just like, oh, Bible, Bible, you know, um, I don't have to be the leader, right? Um, and, and so I go and I sit, but I'm in there with men who I look at and every one of them I look at and their lives have been changed in the last couple of years. Some of them in the last three or four months. And it's absolutely incredible. And that's what the church is about, is about seeing people's lives radically altered. I began to think about why was John's message so effective? And I believe this applies to us so much because if we're going forward for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long that, you know, that I'm here, if we're going forward, we need to understand what made that message so powerful. How did God use it so much? How, what happened? I mean, why, why was John's message so effective? Listen to this in Isaiah. This is in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read a, lot, read a lot of scripture today. So if you want to turn to it, you can. It'll be on the board also or on the screens also. Isaiah 40, 1 through 4. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your, says your God. Isaiah was speaking to the Jewish people. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where, where... things became clear to you all of a sudden that, that something that had been kind of foggy maybe uh, became really clear Friday I'm sitting in my office Susan had gone to the doctor to have a checkup for the baby she calls me and she says okay um they want to check me again Wednesday and then he set it up for me to come in to have the baby on Thursday I was like whoa and, and literally like this is exactly what came out I said oh crap She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, man, I'm excited. But this just got really real. You know, you go 37 weeks and you're like, oh man, we're having a baby. And then she says, this time next week, your life is going to be totally altered. Your life as you know it is done. And it's a great blessing and it is awesome, man. But I was like, whoa, it it just kind of erased all the fog, right? It was like, just all of a sudden it was like, okay, this is happening. This is real, and, and it just got real all of a sudden. And see, this is what John the Baptist was coming to do. He was coming, and this is why Mark started out with this in his gospel. In the very first chapter, the very second verse of what he says is, listen, this is the man who was coming to clear up the fog. This is the man who was coming to do away with this fog of disillusionment that people have been walking in because of this religious system. This is the man who's coming to do away with this fog of time because so many of them had even probably given up. I mean, they're they're frustrated, man. They hadn't heard God's voice in like 400 years and, and they're frustrated because the Messiah was supposed to come. The Christ was supposed to come. Where is our Savior? And John comes so that he can clarify why Jesus was coming to them. And see, here's the thing that I believe with all my heart. I believe this with all my heart. God is not feeble, right? God is not weak. We do not have a weak God who would be unable to move his own mountains, right? We do not have a weak God who would be unable to fill in his own valleys. So I don't believe this, that God was up there and he goes, man, if I could just send somebody to make it all smooth for me, then I could go. I don't believe that for one bit. I believe the reason it says make every mountain low, fill in every valley is because what John was doing was removing the obstacles in front of people so they could see clearly the way. Jesus didn't need a way to be created for him. He is the way. Jesus didn't need a path. It wasn't like he was going through the brush and he was having to cut it with a machete. He is the path. What John was saying was let's move all this religious crap out of our way and so that we can see clearly who God is. So that we can see clearly the path that's going to lead you to a relationship with him. He's not saying, Lord, you know, if he doesn't go out there and preach a good message, I can't do anything. He's saying the time is coming. Now you begin to clear up some of this religious garbage that's going on that people have begun to mistake for me and show them clearly who I am. If anything has happened, I believe, in Connection Church that, 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 that I guess I'm most proud of to this point, I believe that we've tried, and maybe we didn't always succeed. Listen, my worst fear is you walk out of here and you go, what the heck was that guy talking about? But we have tried to bring clarity to who Jesus is. We have tried to bring clarity to who God is. And I believe that when people begin to see clearly who God is, man, we begin to lift him up. He begins to draw people to him. That's what the word says. And I believe that with all my heart. And so we've got to move beyond this religious mindset. See, I believe that the church has begun to worship what we've created rather than the creator. I believe we started worshiping programs and all this other junk. And and, and we walk in and we're looking for something different and it's different. And then we go, I don't know about this. Like, what? (laughs) Let me help you here. If you've been doing something for like 50 years and it's not working, does it make sense to continue? If you've been doing something for 10 years and it's not working, does it make sense to continue? And this goes for us. We can't have any sacred cows here. If something's not working, kill it. Get with God and figure out what will work. It'd be like you having a television. And if you're my age, you know, you, you can relate to this because I remember when I was really young, we had the television that you had to turn the knob, right? There was no remote control with this television. And being the only child, being the son, I was usually given charge of turning the television. My dad would be like, son, go turn the TV. I'm okay. And I go up there and I'm like, you want it on 3, 4, 11? 
I mean, we didn't have all these channels, right? It was like, and then you're trying to adjust things. You know, we, it was one of those things where we would just turn it, you know? We got a remote control. You're like, man, this is awesome. 3411, 3411. You know? And, and it was so cool. But here's the thing. If you had that television sitting in your entertainment system, and, and it tore up. I mean, it's just no good. And, and somebody walks in with a 42-inch, big-screen, high-definition, incredible TV, and they said, listen, I want to give you something that's so much better than that little thing you got. And you looked at him and said, no, I think I'm good with this one. What do you mean? What do you mean you're good with this one? Well, I think we've just had it for so long. It doesn't even work. Why do you want it? Well, it's been in the family. I sure do hate to get rid of it. You know, we've been here so long and I've, you know, we've been doing this and, and, and come on, that is what we do with church. And yet God came 2,000 years ago to break all that mess up, to clear up all that fog so that we could actually know who God is, have a relationship with God. And somehow in 2,000 years, we've managed to screw it all up again. We've managed to make it about other things that it is not about. It is not about playing some stupid religious game. It is not about saying some prayer so that you can sleep good at night. It is about coming to Christ, meeting Jesus, beginning to follow him, and having your life changed so that you can change the life of others. That's what it's about. That's why we exist. That's what John was trying to do. And our job is no different than John the Baptist. It's like we're a little John the Baptist. We're just pointing to the way. We're not the way. I'm not the way. It's Jesus that's the way. And so you and I, our job is to go, let me remove this obstacle. I'm sorry you got hurt in church. I'm sorry that this has become more important than Jesus. Let me remove all these obstacles so that you can see clearly who God is. That's what we're here for is to give an accurate picture of who Jesus is, who God is, the love of God, the mercy of God, that he would take a wretched sinner like me, the greatest miracle in the world, and and he would take you and I, selfish people, do a work in our hearts so that we actually love others more than we love ourselves. That's crazy, man, that God could do that. But that's what we're here for is to point people to that way, to point people to that. One of the things I want to do today is, is I want to look real quick Um, I got just a few minutes. I want to look real quickly at how John the Baptist did this because I believe one of the greatest things that he did was he had a message that was clear. One of the things he did, he he pointed clearly to who God is. And and people were able to see that. They were able to see who Jesus is. And so I want to tell you some things today, talk about some things out of the scripture that I believe were essential for this message to go forward. It was essential for for this message to be heard and for people to respond to God's offer. The first one's out of John chapter three. John chapter three, we'll read verse 28. Listen to this. This is um, John testifying about Jesus. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, but am sent ahead of him. The first thing that I believe John the Baptist had to know was that he had been divinely appointed. We as a church, we as people have to realize that we have been divinely appointed to do what we're doing. You in your class, in your job, wherever you are, have been divinely appointed to share the love of God with people. This church has been divinely appointed to bring an accurate picture of who Jesus is to other people. That is our call. That is our job. Listen to me. If I could have started a church somewhere else, I would. I'm just going to be straight up honest because my idea was I grew up in this town. Nobody cares what I think. They have seen all my good and all my bad and all my ugly. Nobody cares what I think. I grew up here. That whole thing about Jesus having no honor in his hometown, it bugged me. And we started moving forward with the church. We just couldn't get away from this thing. We felt like God was calling us to do this. We started moving forward, started moving forward. But I was still wrestling with prophets without honor in his hometown. Prophets without honor in his hometown. Prophets without honor in his hometown. And so one day I'm laying in bed, cut the TV off, cut the lights off, everything. I'm laying in bed and I'm like, okay, God, I got to bring some resolution to this. I need you to speak to me. And and I'm laying there, I close my eyes and I see just as plain as day in my head. And this is not to be spooky, spiritual, like, you know, but, but I see a plain as day in my head, John 4, 44. I'm like, ooh, that's it. That's my answer. And so I go and I turn to John 4.44. Listen to what this says. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. I was like, thanks a lot, God. I was like, and so then I'm really thrown into this thing. I'm like, are we screwing up? 
Should we do something else? Should we, should we go another direction? What's going on? And just as clear as I've ever heard God speak to my heart, it wasn't like an audible voice. It wasn't like, you know, it was like just in my heart, I heard and, and, and God spoke to me and said, Brandon, if you were in this for honor, you're in the wrong place. But if you'll let me have all the honor and all the glory, you're exactly where you need to be. Gotcha. And from that day forward, I have had peace about being in Statesboro. I've had peace about that. But I want you to understand that, man, this thing is divinely appointed. We didn't just dream this up. I didn't eat too much pizza one night and wake up the next morning and go, I think we'll start a church. In fact, we prayed, man. We prayed for a while about this thing. And then one day we're brushing our teeth and we're like, okay, let's do it. And so I want you to see, man, this is a divinely appointed. John the Baptist knew is divinely appointed. We've got to know that God has put us here. He mandated that we started this. John 3.29 says this. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. John the Baptist knew his purpose. He knew why he existed. He knew that it was not his job to be the Christ. He knew that his job was simply to point people to Jesus. He knew that his job was, like we talked about last week, if I can just point them to the table, Right. If I can just point them to the table that Jesus has prepared for them, if I can show them that there is a seat available for them to come and pull up a chair and sit down and eat, then I have done my job. I don't believe for one second that John the Baptist ever woke up on a Tuesday morning and went, what's my purpose in life? I don't believe that. I don't believe that he ever had those moments of going, why do I exist? And that may sound harsh because you always hear people say, well, it's okay. You know, you but this is what I believe about a lot of people. I'm not saying this about everybody, but this is what I believe about a lot of people. I believe we struggle with our specific calling and purpose in life because we've never said yes to the general calling and purpose on our life. The general calling and purpose is for every one of us to point people to Christ. And until we say, yes, my life is going to be about pointing people to Jesus, it will be very difficult to perform and to discover why we were specifically created. But when you say yes to that general specific calling to point people to Christ, it is amazing how God works everything else out. You don't have to lay in bed at night if you are living your life for Christ and lay there and worry, what am I gonna do? God, if you are seeking him, you are running after him, will get you in the right place at the right time. He is God, you're not. Just follow him and trust him and he will move in your life to get you where you need to be. That was the second one. Number three is this. Look at Luke chapter three, verses one through three. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Aturia, and Trachon, you can laugh if you want to. I mean, this is just <laughs> Trachonitis. And Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, I was wondering if that was like Texas or where that is. But during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to him, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, this is the next one, that he was focused on the task at hand. He was focused on the task at hand. Perfect example. A lot of times when I walk in here, and I'm not saying this because I mind this. Don't hear, that's not what I'm saying. A lot of times when I walk in before the service, I'll have somebody before or after the service come up and they'll say, I need to make an appointment with you. And they're like, can I meet with you Wednesday at three? Yeah, we can do that. The only problem is if I don't go write that down immediately, I'm probably not gonna meet with you Wednesday at three because I'm gonna forget, right? And it's not because I don't love you. It's not because it's not important to me. It is because at that point, I'm gonna be honest with you, my mind is on the message. My mind is, is on the fact that in about 20 minutes, I'm gonna be trying to bring clarity to the God of the universe. That's a pretty daunting challenge. Yeah, he made all this and I'm gonna tell you about him, right? The last thing I want you to do is walk in looking for some clarity about life and walk out going, I got no clue what that guy was talking about. That's not the goal of this. And so I walk in, my mind is on the message. And I'm like, if I don't write that down, and a lot of times I will, I'll be like, okay, let me go write this down. I'll write it down and then I'll put it on my calendar because I won't remember it. Why? Because I'm focusing on the message. That's what I'm thinking about. And so I'm focused on that. And I thought about this. That's the way the church ought to be, right? 
We should be focused on the message. We should be focused on the task at hand. We shouldn't sway from that message. That should be the thing that is on our mind, that is on our hearts. We need to realize we've got to stay on our own tracks. We've got to be in this place where, because this is what I think happens in a lot of churches. You start out with this perfect vision, this perfect thing that God has given you to begin to move and to begin to do. But after months and years, you begin to to stray from that vision. And it's like aiming a rifle. You can aim a rifle from 10 yards and shoot it. If you're off a little bit, it doesn't make a big difference. But you get out 200 yards and man, that thing, it doesn't even hit the target. Because the further you go, the more off target it is. As people, and some of you today may be sitting here going, man, I understand that because my life started out in the right direction and I got no clue how I ended up where I'm at. The good thing for you is you've got a God that can get you back on path. You've got a God that can take you from being in the wrong place and put you in the right place and fulfill your life in ways that you never thought possible. But here's the deal. So many people start out here and they end up here. So many churches start out here and end up here. And there are a lot of tracks we can jump on that that would be cool. And there's a lot of things we can do as a church that's been done and it's been successful. But the thing we've got to remember is that God's called us to run our tracks, not somebody else's. God's called us to do what he called us to do. The great thing about tracks that other people have run is you can go a lot faster. You can move, you can go, you can do, you can just blow and go. The problem with other people's tracks is you don't end up in your destination. You end up in theirs. And so we've got to stay on our tracks, man. We've got to keep pressing forward. As God lays out the tracks, we keep moving, we keep going, and we keep doing the things that God's called us to do. Listen to this one in Mark 1, 6. It says this. This is crazy to me. This is so funny. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Can you imagine walking in one day and I'm wearing camel hair with a leather belt around my waist, and I've got like honey. I got me a jar of honey with some grasshoppers. I mean, that'd just be weird. And the thing about it is, we think back to this and we're like, well, maybe that was normal. No, it wasn't normal. I mean, this guy was weird even for his day. In fact, he was dressed like a prophet, the prophet Elijah, who who had lived hundreds of years before him. And so this guy was different, but you know what he was? He was simple. He was so simple. He didn't complicate the obvious. How many of you know that in church we tend to complicate the obvious? How many of you know that God knows we're not as smart as we like to think we are? He made it so simple for us. He made it so doggone easy, and yet we continue to complicate it. I mean, so many times we get in here and we start having college students, well, we need a singles ministry. Well, singles ministry happens on Sunday morning between 9 and 10.15 and 10.45 and 12. You ought to be here. It's cool, man. You need to bring some singles. It's a great singles ministry, you know? Can I help you with this? It is about really three things. It is about meeting Christ, deciding to follow Christ, and having your life changed for Christ so you can change other people's lives. It, that's it. And we try to complicate it. And see, here's the thing I want to tell you about all this stuff we're talking about today. You have permission to hold me accountable to this. Because our church is going to be about four things and four things only. If in 10 years we're still doing these four things, then we'll consider what we've done, regardless of how many people or whatever else, a success. God has called us to do what we are doing right now, Sunday morning. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're going to pour into children. We're going to do all these things. He's called us to... to, um, to do small groups. He's called us to our connect groups. If you're not in one, I would get in one because I believe that they would change your life more than anything else as you begin to share Jesus with other people who love Jesus. The third thing is our kids and our, our uh, students. We're gonna love them, man. We're gonna pour into them. They're important. They're not just the kingdom of the future. They're the kingdom today. Man, they can lead their parents to Christ. And so we're gonna pour into them. And the fourth thing is missions. We're going, to go, we're going to be missional. We're going to remain missional. We will never allow the voices on the inside to overcome the voices on the outside. We're going to continue to go to people and love them and share the gospel. And so we're, we're not finished. As the video said, I remember when, but, but, but we're not done yet. And we're going to do these four things. And we're going to do these four things only. We're going to keep it simple because I believe simplicity is the best way to show an accurate picture of who God is. And that's what we exist for. Listen to this. Mark 1, 4. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Preaching a baptism. Listen, he came preaching this message. It was not a message about a house on a hill. I heard a guy was at a revival one time. And this guy, he's up there and he's, he's, he's doing good, man. I'm all into him. He reminded me of T.D. Jakes. I love listening to T.D. Jakes, man. T.D. Jakes throws down. If you never heard him, he's got his little hanky up there. And he's sweating, wiping off his big ball head. And he's scooting across the stage and dancing across. And he's preaching. And I'm in my living room. And I'm like, can I do that move? 
I'm like, no, I can't even do it. I'm not going to try that on Sunday morning. But he's just throwing down, man. And this guy kind of reminded me of him. And I'm listening to him. I'm like, man, this is awesome. And then he says, and this is the deal. If you'll give your money to God, then he'll give you a mansion. And once your pastor has a mansion on the hill, you can get yours. I was like, tilt, tilt, tilt. I was like, "Uh uh-uh. And then he pulls the pastor up to the front and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray about what you should give your pastor and then I want you to come and lay it at his feet. I said, not me. I'm not going down that path. And he said it again. And when he gets his mansion, you can have yours. That's not the, I don't see that message anywhere in here, right? I'm sorry. And if that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. But it is not about your comfort. It's about the kingdom. It's about us making Jesus and lifting him up and exalting him. And does he take care of us? Yes. But it is about us proclaiming the message. John's message was uncompromising. Can you imagine somebody walking up to John and going, are you sure that this is going to be the only way? He's got on camel hair. He's wearing a leather belt. He's probably got honey in his beard. It's all stuck together and matted together. And he's probably got a grasshopper hanging out of his mouth. I'm not telling that guy his message is wrong. This was an unwavering message. It was uncompromising. And, and there's the thing. You've got to understand this about me. You can sit in here and disagree with me. In fact, if you come two or three times, you're probably going to find something you disagree with. But, and you, and you, you can sit here. But understand where I'm coming from. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I don't believe there is another way. Because you can't point to another way other than Jesus and point to somebody who's ever done for us what Jesus did. There is no other way. I'm not saying that because I'm a spiritual bigot. I don't think I'm better than anybody. I just know the one who is. I'm not better than anybody. But God made a way for us. And we're not backing down on that. His message was clear. Here comes the path. Here comes the way. This is it. There is no other way. In fact, he is the path. And so we come to this place where we have to decide what we're going to do with that. The other thing is this. It was uncompromising in scope. He didn't limit it to just a couple of people. It was preached to everybody, Gentiles and Jews, soldiers and tax collectors. How dare us try to limit the scope of who we share the gospel with? It was uncompromising. Here's the the thing that happened to me this week. I was at this pond. I go to this pond. I read my Bible. I have quiet time. A lot of times on Wednesday, I'll try to set aside some time where I can just get away, read my Bible, pray. Um, And I'm sitting there by this pond. It was a beautiful day, man. It was awesome. It was just, I mean, the weather was incredible. And I'm sitting there and I look up and this airplane's going across the sky. It was one of these bright sunny days like today. And and it was just shining off of that airplane. It looks like a little missile just going across the sky, just as smooth as silk. And I'm sitting there, I was like, man, that thing is so smooth. Look at it go. And then I thought about, I was like, you know what? I don't remember that being that way. Because when I'm on the airplane, I feel every bump. Susan feels every bump. She's like, she's like this. She's like, okay, uh, what was that? I'm like, um, that was just the landing gear going up. That's all that was. Okay, okay. A minute later, boom, 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 what was that? That was just some turbulence. We're okay. We're okay. We're not going down. We're, we're all right. And then she's like, well, what, what was that? I was like, that was my pinky snapping when you squeeze my fingers so hard. And, and, and so we don't, we don't remember plane rides being that smooth. And this is what I thought about when I saw the plane and it was so smooth. I was like, you know, when I step back from a distance and I begin to look at that airplane, man, does it look smooth? Man, does it look great? And I thought about when we back up and we look at other people's lives from a distance, they look smooth, don't they? You look at other people's marriages, unless it's just you see them fighting or something. Typically you look at other people's marriages and you're like, man, they've got a better marriage than I do. You look at other people's kids and you're like, why can't my kids act like theirs? You're in, you're in Walmart praying, God, I hope their kids have a meltdown. <laughs> and, then, and then they do. And you're like, see, I'm not that bad of a parent after all. Their kids are bad too. And listen, my marriage is not perfect. There's turbulence in our marriage. There's things that happen. You know my kids aren't perfect. If you've been around long. But man, how... The problem is we look at other people's lives and we think, man, they got it all together. It is smooth sailing. And in your own life, there is turbulence and there's things going on and there's ups and there's downs. And we walk into church and because everybody else's life looks so smooth and so perfect, we don't want to admit that ours isn't. Can I tell you this? Everybody has turbulence in their life. There is nobody that's coasting along with everything that's fine. If you think you are, you are deceived. 
And here's the thing, though, God comes in and he brings us through all of that stuff when we allow him. But we've got to realize that, that this message was preached to everybody. The scope of it was broad. There's nobody in here that is less deserving of hearing the gospel, nor less deserving of the love of God. The sixth one is this, that he lived the message. These are going to be brief. He lived the message. Listen, if it's not important enough for you to live, then nobody's going to believe you. If you can't first live it because it's important to you, why would anybody else want it, right? So if we come in and we're saying, you know, like if I go to my kids and I'm like, man, you know, don't drink. It's bad for you. Don't get drunk. It, 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 you just, it, it's, it's just wrong. Don't do that. But then I'm getting tanked every Friday and Saturday night. What message is that sending? If I'm not letting them say certain words, but then I'm saying them, it's confusing to them, Right? You know, if I'm telling people to do one thing and I'm doing another, they're not going to want to do the things that I'm doing. If it's important enough for me to tell somebody, it better be important enough for me to live it. And so we've got to live the message. John the Baptist lived the message. Nobody could say that he was telling them to do something he had not already done. The seventh one is this. He wasn't ordinary. And I got to get through this quickly, but I'm telling you, man, I could talk about this one all day. Because I'm amazed, like, how many people come to church and they're, they're looking for something. But because of their, their background, they're like, whoa, this is, this is just, this is different. Y'all got little sticks and beat them together, man. We don't, that's crazy. And so they come in. And, and what's funny, though, is like, people are dying spiritually. But we don't want to do anything different. I thank God that we're not ordinary. I thank God that we're different ordinary stinks. The only reason I don't use a stronger word there is because I, I can't. But ordinary stinks. We ought to be extraordinary. We serve an extraordinary God. And, and I just believe this with all my heart, that, that we've got to move beyond thinking that we've got to be like everybody else. We need to embrace the fact that we're different. In fact, people will come in sometimes and they'll say, um, this is just really different. And they mean it one of two ways. They mean it as, this is really different and I love it. Or they mean, this is really different and I can't do this. But either way, I want you to hear what I hear. When somebody says, this is really different, I hear this, mission accomplished. Because Bullitt County didn't need another church. Bullitt County needed something different. And I don't want you to come in and, and go out every Sunday and think that what's happening is typical. What's happening is not typical. I don't say this to boost my ego. I don't say this to just say, look at us. But I believe when God planted this church, he was not planning just a church. He was starting a movement. I was looking at the typical statistic that you see is most churches, 80% of churches don't make it through their first year when they're planted. Man, we're celebrating two years. And I, I thank God for that. It says that most churches after their four-year anniversary have 79 people in attendance. Man, I, and I, again, I say, I don't say this to brag, but I say this to say, come on guys, we have a chance to be a part of something here that is so unbelievable. A chance to be a part of something that when anybody looks at it, they go, God did something. I believe we're in the midst of revival. Why do I believe that? We baptized 38 people since this time last year. That doesn't happen everywhere. I don't want us walking in and out of here every Sunday and thinking, man, this is just church. This is not just church. We are, going, we are here to see people's lives changed and radically altered. And we get the opportunity, the possibility that if we'll say yes to God's call and this specific thing of, of, of making Jesus um, clear to other people, we have the opportunity to be a part of this. The last one is this. This comes out of John 3.30. Very short, but it says, he must become greater, I must become less. The last thing is this, we've got to continue to elevate Jesus higher than ourselves. We've got to continue to lift him high. We've got to continue to be filled with the Spirit of God, who is the only person that can change anybody's heart to start with. We've got to continue to lift him up. The Bible says, and I believe it's true with all my heart, that if we'll exalt him, he'll draw people to him. But we've got to make him more and us less. 
We've got to continue to exalt Jesus to everybody we come into contact with. On Sunday morning, and you hold my feet to this fire, if we ever become about what we're doing up here more than what Jesus did on the cross, then we need to have a heart check. And if we can't get our heart right, we need to close the doors. Because this is about him and what he's doing. Here's the thing I realize. You can't bring clarity to something you're not clear about. My question to you is, in your job, in your family, in your um, class, in your fraternity, your sorority, whatever it may be, are you bringing clarity to who God is? Are you muddying the water, making it harder for people to find who, who Jesus really is? who God really is. Because here's the awesome opportunity that you and I have. Because we have accepted Christ, we've decided to follow Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And as he works out of us, we can begin to give an accurate picture of who God is as a church and individually. The other thing I would say is this. Are you clear about who he is? Have you reconciled yourself to God through Christ? Have you accepted that reconciliation that he's offered? Do you know for sure, man, I've got a clear understanding of who Jesus is and the power that comes with that name and comes with his life. Because if you haven't made that statement, if you haven't said that, then, man, today's the day and maybe God's knocking on the door of your heart and all you've got to do is open it and say, come in. If you make that decision today, and if you decide that's what you want to do, then I, I want you to tell somebody, tell one of us that we can walk through that journey with you. If maybe you're like the, the bullet that was shot out of the gun and, and it ended up way off over here because it was off just a little bit in the beginning, man, today God offers an opportunity for you to come all the way back, get back on track with him and to begin to live your life his way. All it takes is saying yes and surrendering yourself to him. That's the opportunity that we have. I want you to ponder that as our band's going to come back up. Um, we're going to close out today with um, some music. One, I want you to listen to this first song and ponder the fact that, or, or ask yourself the question, have I really responded to Christ? Have I responded because I know clearly who Jesus is? And if not, why haven't I? And is God knocking on your heart today to say yes to him? The other thing I want you to ponder is, am I being a clear representation of him in the world to those that I'm a, I come in contact with? Then the next song, I want you to do this. We're going to celebrate because today is a day of celebration. Today we celebrate what God has done in the last two years. So we get to use our little rhythm sticks one more time. We get to go crazy for Jesus. We're not going to hold anything back. We're going to let it go. I might jump up and down or run around. I don't know. We will see. But, but I think we need to celebrate God. We need to really begin to thank God for who he is and what he's done. And so I'm going to pray. They're going to play. And then we'll get out of here. God, I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you so much for your love and grace that you've poured out on us. I thank you that you lead us to the truth, God. Father, right now we come to worship you. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would bring clarity um, to who you are in our lives. Lord, give us the strength, the power, the wisdom to point people to the way, the path to you. In Jesus' name, amen.